الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على خاتم الأنبياء أشرف المرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد The beautiful thing about the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from the many fawaid, from the many benefits, from understanding aspects of aqidah, understanding aspects of fiqh, because when ayat are revealed, when incidents happen, it makes tafsir of the Qur'an. I mean, there are many fawaid. One of them, to benefit from the great example the Prophet set in his self, in his akhlaq. Sometimes, we wonder why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses certain people to raise their ranks. And some people are loved. And sometimes you see somebody and everybody wants to sit with them. Everybody wants to spend time with them and everybody loves them. Maybe somebody has some bughaz or nifaq, that's something different. But people who have a clean heart, Muslim and non, would like to sit people with good akhlaq. And some people, they're like, <laughs> uh, something that everybody runs from. Even when you, wanna, when you have to deal with them, you deal with them as little as possible. Right? And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he was an example of such akhlaq, even before nabuwa, and even before prophethood. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised him in the Qur'an. إِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises the akhlaq of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So imagine how great were her akhlaq. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, before I begin into the timeline, I just want to mention something. We talked about his truthfulness and his trustworthiness, but also his hayat. Hayat, yani, the shyness that is praiseworthy. In English, usually when you talk about somebody being shy, we talk about somebody that's not confident. Like when you can't speak properly, they say, oh, he's just shy. But that's not the shyness we're talking about. The Prophet ﷺ, when he had to speak the truth, he was never shy from speaking the truth. He was very strong in his character, in his boldness, in his confidence. But he had the shyness that was the shyness of uh, honor. Not that you know, just somebody who just looks down all the time. That's, that's one aspect of it. But somebody who's shy to refuse somebody a favor. Somebody who's shy to turn down somebody for the sake of Allah, not to be taken advantage of. And that's the beautiful thing about the Rasul as Anas ibn Malik he says that Rasulullah had the strength of 30 men. This is al-Bukhari. Other rawayat mention different numbers because this is the Sahaba talking about an example. Rasulullah was so strong, we can't, I mean what Allah gave him from physical strength, we can't even give an example. It's not just from working out and things like that. This is the, the strength that Allah gave him. That, that big wrestlers of Quraysh couldn't take him. Meaning physically he was strong, but as Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, he says that when I was serving him, 
And this is later in the seerah, but I'm just giving an example, right? Think about this. You know these uh, Islamophobes, they talk about, oh, the Prophet and his slave, right? Uh, where? Show us. Anas ibn Malik, he served the Prophet but not as a slave. He was actually given by his mother to be a servant to the Prophet to benefit from the Prophet's akhlaq. So he served the Prophet but he wasn't a slave. The slaves that were given to the Prophet in Jahaliyyah and so on, or, or, or Maria Qibtiya, for example, was given by a Christian king. And the Prophet what is correct, he freed her and married her. So Anas ibn Malik, this is in Medina. His mother gave him to the Prophet to serve him. Anas ibn Malik says that 10 years I served the Prophet he never even said uff to me. The lightest word of disrespect, of, of annoyance in the Arabic language. Aisha she said that Rasulullah never hit any of his wives, never hit his children. I mean, what an example. Anas ibn Malik says that Rasulullah sent me for a task. He tasked me with something to do. And he was a young man, young child. So he went out and he, got, he saw children playing, he got busy playing with them, he got distracted. He says, I kept playing, I forgot about the task. Until I saw somebody come up behind me. And if it was me, and from the back, and Allah protect us, right? Forgive us for our shortcomings. Let's be honest, like don't, don't, I hate fake humility. Don't be fake. Rasulullah sallallahu came up from behind Anas ibn Malik, and Anas ibn Malik said, I saw somebody behind me, I turned around, I saw the Prophet smiling. He didn't even say anything to him. Like, what happened? Where'd you go? He says, as soon as I saw him, I remember. He said, 10 years, he never told me, why did you do this? Why didn't you do this? SubhanAllah, khalaq. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this is off topic, I just... In the hadith he was giving khutbah, somebody came during the khutbah, asked him a question about Islam, he stopped the khutbah, came down and sat down with him. Now imagine, if I'm giving khutbah, and somebody comes in the middle and just says, I want to learn about Islam, like, what's wrong with you? Wait! <laughs> Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, once he was in the masjid, and he was giving... But the halaqah of Rasulullah sallallahu is meaning when he sat with the sahaba, spoke to them, this is the halaqah, this is the dars. And this is what we will call hadith later on. So he's speaking to the sahaba, he's teaching them, a slave woman, outside, she calls Rasulullah He stops his halaqah, he goes outside. I mean, this is the, what, what the society would, low, would, would deem to be the lowest of the low. But the Prophet honored everybody. She told him, I can't explain it here. He told her, oh, um, fulani, yani, oh, mother, whatever, whatever you want to discuss it, I will go with She took him away from the masjid, but in front of the people, and she, she explained her issues, and he listened to her. And this is the akhlaq of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he said, al-haya la yakun. The haya la yati illa khair. Shyness does not come with something except it brings good with it. That's a longer hadith and things. The last thing I will mention here, where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sallam, Anas ibn Malik, he mentions that we never saw his face change, except that we would know what he's upset about. Meaning, 
instead of him having to get upset, the Sahaba would just look at the face of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And if they saw a change, they would be... So, so this is the balance, I'm saying. Sometimes when you're, you have good akhlaq, then people think, yani, they will just ignore you and things. But this was the great akhlaq of the Sahaba, that they wouldn't wait for the Prophet to tell them something. They would be looking at the visual signs of what he needed, what he didn't need, what pleased him, what displeased him. Alayhi salatu salam. Khair inshallah. Regarding the age of Rasulullah sallallahu in the timeline that we're at, he's past 12-13 years of age. Around the age of either 14 or 15, Ibn Hisham, he mentions this, that he was either 14 or 15. Other ulama of tariq like Ibn Sa'ad and others have mentioned this to be around 20 years of age. Why the discrepancy? Because again, these numbers do not come from a marfu' hadith. Any Rasulullah didn't say, I was this many years old when this happened. And the date keeping of the Arab was not excellent. Like when we talk about the differences in the age of Aisha from different reports, people say, how can there be such a difference? I mean, look at this. Here we have between 14 and 20, and this is about Rasulullah So here, at either 14 or 15 or 20 years of age, a historic incident happened. Now, Ibn Hisham has mentioned this in his seerah without salam, without the chain. But it is supported, like in the tabaqat of Ibn Sa'd, tabaqat al-kubra, he mentioned this through many other reports. And there are other reports that are mentioned where Rasulullah mentioned this incident. So even if the incident in Ibn Hisham doesn't have a sanad, it is supported by the other narrations. And this is the incident of the Harbul Fujjar. Harbul Fujjar, which is يعني, the war of uh, the disobedient or disobedience. This was an incident that historically has been documented in the time before prophethood, meaning at this age, the Prophet ﷺ was between 14 and 20 years of age, depending on the different narrations from the historians. And it was called the War of Fujjar because it was a war that, was, that took place during the months that were haram to initiate wars. These are the holy months, the four holy months, which are Rajab, Dhul Qa'dah, Dhul Hijjah, and Muharram. These four months, were sacred and the Arab knew about their being sacred from the time of Ibrahim And in many things, the Arab knew about the value of the Kaaba, of Hajr al-Aswad, about Tawaf, about some forms of Salah. Why? Because no doubt originally Mecca was started on Tawheed with Ibrahim with Ismail with those that established, they were upon Tawheed. They did these ibadat. So they knew about them. So they knew about these months. So even before prophethood, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he knew about them. But this, and, and according to the Jamhur al-Ulema, this was not one battle. There is one we'll discuss particularly, but there were three or four. Many ulema have mentioned four. Now those are not mentioned with the Sanad, so we cannot say for sure, but this is what the ulema of Tariq have mentioned. But what has been mentioned Sanadan, I will mention as well. So here what happened is, there was a man named Qais ibn Alan. Qais ibn Alan was from Taif. And uh, 
some background about him, and this is again in mostly historic works, this is without Asani. He was sent with trade goods from a king from Iraq named Nu'man ibn Mundir. Nu'man ibn Mundir, we spoke about him in the earlier Druze. But he sent Qais ibn Alan from the people of Ta'if to trade, and there were these trade markets that used to be set up in different areas, and he had the goods, and he was there. Now, a man named Urwat al-Ruhal, and some of the books meant him as Urwa ibn Rahal, but what is correct is it's actually Rahal is a uh, laqab with him. So Urwa al-Ruhal, he was there uh, with these trade goods from Nu'man ibn Mundir at the bequest of Qais, and a man from Banu Kinana. Banu Kinana now, they are tied with and yani, related and with the Quraysh. From a man, his name is Barrab from Banu Kinana, he went and he killed the man and he took his belongings. He killed Urwa and took his belongings. Now Qais ibn Ilan and the people of Taif, of course they got upset about this. Uh, Al-Barrab, he ran away to Khaybar and he sent a message to the Quraysh. He said, I killed a man and you guys better <laughs> take care of yourself because they're now uh, Qais and the people of Taif and whichever tribe they're aligned with them are going to come and attack you. So they came to attack. The leaders of Quraysh, they went into the Kaaba because they knew that people would know this is a holy place. They weren't ready for battle. Now Qais and the people of Taif and the Qabail that were aligned with them, realizing that they're not going to shed blood in the Kaaba, they told them, you have one year to prepare. We're giving you notice. You have one year. One year from now, we're going to come with all the tribes that we're aligned with, and you bring whatever you have, and we're going to bow. In this year, they prepared. Qais and the people of Ta'if, and those from the Qabail that were aligned with them, when they went back to attack, it was during the months that were sacred. Which is, I mean, this is why we have a saying, uh, in Pashto, we say the Hindu girada. Shigala <laughs> wait, It's like the beard of a Hindu. Whenever he wants, he cuts it. <laughs> because traditionally, and this is interesting that this became a saying, the Muslim would, the Muslim man would not cut his beard. But the Hindu didn't care. I mean, sometimes he cut it, sometimes he'd keep it because there was no significance to it, right? So these people in Jahaliyyah, they didn't violate attacking the Kaaba, but then they violated the holy months. You know, because to them, and they didn't really care. They cared just as far as what people would say. But they didn't do it out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then they would keep some things and they would violate some things. So they attacked during the holy months. And here, yani, Banu Kinana and the Quraysh and those that were with him, with them, they stood up and, they, and the battle began. According to what is correct, this battle ended in one day. This is one day battle. And in the morning, the Quraysh were losing. And yani, the ulema of Tariq have said, Harb ibn Umayyah was the leader of the people of Quraysh for this battle. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he himself participated in the battle. Now, as I said, this background information is in the Kutub of Tariq, like Ibn Sa'ad and others have mentioned it, without Sanad Ibn Hisham. But there is the marfu' hadith where Rasulullah sallallahu remembers, and he says, I was handing the arrows to my uncles. And in some of the rawayat, he was shooting as well. Meaning the Prophet sallallahu did partake in this battle, 
defending against invaders. Now, there are some fawaid, some benefits. Why we even mention this? Right? One of them, the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is preparing His Prophet والسلام, to be a leader in every field. Because the Prophet and this is why there is a book called uh, The Hundred Most Influential People in History. I think Michael Hart, non-Muslim author. And he puts the Prophet Muhammad as the first. Above Isa ibn Maryam, above يعني, many of the people that historically, like Alexander the Great and all this stuff that we hear about in history, Julius Caesar. He put the Prophet Muhammad as number one. He said, why? Because he was a complete example. A religious figure... Uh, a great example of a person who led a people, but he was a leader in war as well, in making peace treaties, in, in, in defending Medina, in all of those aspects. Not just yani, uh, religion, not just uh, spirituality, not just politics, not just and all of that together, that is the Prophet And all of that together, that is Islam. Today the Muslims, we've all taken ajzab, we've taken one juz, somebody's taken da'wah, Somebody takes it, and even da'wah, they don't mean da'wah to kuffar, and not real da'wah. They just mean like with each other. They take this juz and this is Islam. Some people will take da'wah to kuffar, for example, and they will take this is Islam, khalas. Everything else they'll put down, they'll just yani, talk a lot about this. Some of them will take teaching and learning, knowledge, teaching halaqat. Some of them will take dhikr. Some of them will take helping the poor. All of these are great. Da'wah, Islah of the Ummah, keeping up with the Muslim body, yani, uh, everything from Qital, from all of that is a part of Islam. We as Muslims cannot deny any of it. And we try our best to participate in all of it as best we can. And if we cannot, at least we support those that do. If I cannot give a lot of money to Masakeen, if somebody else is given, I shouldn't be like, hey, yeah, he gives a lot of money. But when did he spend his four months, huh? Is he an old worker? Don't, don't look down on others. If they're doing according to Quran or Sunnah, don't look down on others. Do what you can, the best you can. Be involved in uh, teaching and learning, be involved in da'wah, be involved in, 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 in trying to get uh, zakat to the people of need, be involved in everything that is in accordance with the Quran or Sunnah, and whatever you cannot do, make dua for those that are doing it. Rasulullah now he participated in this battle so as a young man he knows about the strategies and things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching him. Another incident that happened and a very important incident and this is mentioned as I said uh, in the Kutub of Tarih some are marfu'an, some are mentioned through some of the Sahaba including Abdullah ibn Zubayr and others later on and I'm just saying this because what happens is people watch these durus sometimes may Allah forgive us and cleanse our hearts and their whole point is to act like they know. And I'll mention something and they'll go look it up and they'll find that it's a weak narration or without a sanad or something. And like, ha! <laughs> but then you have to understand, you have to look at the other asanid, other books, other incidents. And I'll mention it here to understand that sometimes something may not have a sanad in one book, but it's supported by something that's mentioned in another book, sanad. Right? So this is the health al-fudul of the people of fadl. Not fuzul, <laughs> people, right? But fudul, yani bil fadl. And this is an agreement of virtue, you could say. 
And this is something that, as I mentioned, uh, Suhaili and others have mentioned without Asani. But there are Sahaba and other mentions that happened with Rasulullah even with Asani that show that it did happen. So I will give you now the context from the historic perspective. Which was, and again, why was it called Fudul bil Fadl? Either because just from the virtue, or also some of the ulama said, and this is without Sanat, that there were four people, all of them were named Fadl, that were the ones that also were in part of this and so on. Here, a man, a Zubayd. Some people have mentioned as Zubaydi, but ulama of Tariq of Quch, as Zubayd, came from Yemen. And he came to trade in Mecca. Mecca was one of the places of trade. When he was trading there, there is a man named As ibn Wa'il. As ibn Wa'il, we have mentioned him some of the rules before and we will mention him later. He was from the people of Quraysh and he was from the very powerful people and so on. He took the merchandise from a Zubayd and did not pay him. Now Zubayd is not from Mecca, he's from Yemen. So he's traveling, he doesn't have his tribe, he doesn't have his men, he doesn't have any power. And there is no government body, right? This, and you imagine at that time, you couldn't, there's no Better Business Bureau, there's no Yelp review, <laughs> I'm gonna give you, you know, negative rating or something, right? You can't go and complain to anybody. So it was basically based on honor. As ibn Wa'il, he took his goods and he told him, I'll pay you tomorrow. When Zubayd went tomorrow, he told him, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. He was just giving him a hard time. So when he was giving him a hard time, in the end, Zubayd said, either give my merchandise back or pay me. As Ibn Wa'il said, I'm not going to do either one. What are you going to do about it? Translating here. Do something. This is Mecca. I'm from Quraysh. I got men. I got pride. I got power. I've taken your merchandise. Do something. Zubayd, because he was a traveler, what he did is he went to the leaders of Quraysh. And he told them, look, one of your people, he has dishonored yani, your, your trade agreements and things, and he's done this. But the leaders of Quraysh said, you know, I mean, why are we going to take on our own guy? Yani, they, they had that tribal mentality as well. He said, he's from our tribe. Why are we going to take him on for some strangers? So they kind of ignored him. Okay? So he, he had no other choice. What did he do? He used the weapon of the Arab, poetry. <laughs> so he wrote some poems. I mean, not physically, right? Came up with them. And he started to recite some poetry disgracing the Quraysh's moral character for doing this. I mean, what else could he do? So, Zubair ibn Abdul Muttalib, who is an uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, who died in Jahaliya, he died before Nabuwa. Zubair ibn Abdul Muttalib, he heard this and he was a man of honor. So he became upset. And he gathered some of the other honorable people of Quraysh and he said, we can't let this happen. We cannot let the weak, the rights of the weak be trampled. We cannot let that people abuse others who are, who are weak or who are travelers just because they have any strength and so on. So he gathered some of the people one of the people that gathered with him, a young man from the Quraysh named Muhammad We know the Prophet was a part of this pact. The Prophet mentioned this pact later on as well. And if you go in Tariq, there is a riwayat, Sanadan, from Al-Hussein. 
Now we're talking about Hussein radiallahu anhu, the grandson of the Prophet so much later on. And the reason again I'm mentioning this because the earlier what I mentioned about Zubayd and things, most of these are without Sanad. But this incident is supported by these narrations. So this narration, Al-Hussein, he was dealing with Walid, who was one of the governors uh, at the time. And Al-Walid, when he didn't deal fairly according to Hussein and trade with him, Hussein told him that I will call upon the pact of يعني, the hif, al-fudul, يعني, of the virtuous, which the Prophet had been a part of. And, and if this happened, as Zubair ibn Awam, Abdullah ibn Zubair, uh, the son of Zubair ibn Awam, he said, if this is called by Hussein, I will be the first one with my sword because my ancestors had made that pact. Now there is some interesting points to take here. One, that this later narration supports the earlier narrations. Secondly, how the Arab had a good practice of supporting the good that their ancestors did. Meaning that, for example, may Allah protect us all, but let's say if somebody's father gives a lot of sadaqah, and that father dies, the children should then continue that practice because of my father to honor my father, and so on. If the father protects uh, some weak, the children should then be willing to give their life to protect those weak because to honor their father or their grandfather or their great-grandfather. Abdullah ibn Zubair was ready to, to put down his life because of a contract made by his great-great-great-grandfathers. Yani this is going above yani it's Abdullah, the son of Zubair, the son of Awam and so on. And going even before Rasul meaning the elders that were there. But he was ready for it, to honor that which is right, not in what is wrong but in that which is right. The next point of benefit, that this pact was made in Jahaliyyah, Qabla islam But the Prophet ﷺ, even in some of the later rawayat, he said that we would honor it, because it was something good. It was not something in shirk and things, it was something good. So even if non-Muslims do something good, we should honor it. Not against the Sharia, obviously, right? But let's say, there is a, a place that's giving food to the needy, started by non-Muslims. And then we as Muslims go and we establish ourselves in that area or people become Muslim and so on. We shouldn't be like, huh, that was started by kuffar, we're going to stop that. No. Is, is it against Sharia? No. Is something shirk? No. Is something bad? No. Take it on. Go with it. Back to the actual incident. Then here, these honorable people of Quraysh, they came together and they made a pact. And their pact was that we will stand and die and fight for the weak and the needy. Now this shows you some good characteristics as well. Is this their business? No, I mean it's not like there are no tribal connections, there is no family ties here, there's no money involved that they're going to benefit. They're willing to die on principle. On غيرت, upon standing on what is right, protecting those that are weak. And this is in Jahaliyyah. Here, they gathered in the house of Abdullah ibn Jaddan. Abdullah ibn Jaddan, do you know who he is? It's very interesting. 
I'm going to mention some just a historic narration here, and that's why I clarify what is. This is not to do with the dust, but just to give you some background. This is a historic narration. There's no sanad for it, but it mentions some history about him. I looked up his uh, his history. Abdullah bin Jaddan was the son uh, of a powerful person from Quraysh, Jaddan, but he was very. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think in Farsi you say nalayak, right? <laughs> He was very, uh, he was عاجز uh, بالعربي and he was not good at anything, he was lazy and he was, you know, he wouldn't, he wasn't good at trade and so on, right? So, here, his father kicked him out. He said, this guy is useless. And he had, he had, he had got a lot of debts, like he owed a lot of money to people. And the people kept bothering him and shaming him to pay his debts until he said, I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to commit suicide. And again, this is all jahiliyyah, it's not Islam. So here, Abdullah bin Jaddan, he goes to kill himself, but he says it's, it's not honorable to like sword, kill yourself with your own sword, right? He said, subhanAllah, not samurais here, you're not cutting yourself up, I don't know where the honor in that is, but, right? So he said, you know what, I want to go and let like a beast attack me or and a snake bite me. I want to commit suicide, but I don't want people to think that I committed suicide, right? I want them to think it was like natural causes or whatever. So he goes, to a mountain and he finds a cave and he finds in it a red snake and they knew the red snake was very poisonous so he goes this is a good idea I'm gonna go to the snake I'm gonna go mess with it and the snake's gonna bite me you know I'm gonna die and people will think I just got bit and you know I don't pay my debts so he goes in there and he goes close to the snake he throws little rocks at it he messes with it snake doesn't move he keeps throwing stuff at it doesn't move so finally he goes and grabs it and he realizes it's not a real snake he realized it's a fake colored snake or a dead snake that was put whatever but somebody had put it there to cover gold which most likely they had stolen because you know they, if you have it was halal then you just keep it right but somebody had buried gold there so he found this gold and it made him rich and when he came back to Mecca he became from the very rich people of Mecca and he used to give a lot in charity and that's why it was his house that they chose to make this health, this pact him. Because he was known for giving a lot of charity. I mentioned him before in the Duru's, maybe you remember or not. Aisha asked about him. She asked the Prophet about Abdullah bin Jaddan, that he was somebody who was very generous and he helped the poor and he would defend the, the travelers and he would do all of this. Will he have anything in the Akhirah? And the Prophet said, no. Because even though he did all this, he never once made dua. He never once asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, oh Allah save me from the torments of the day of judgment. What does that mean? That he didn't do it for that niyyah. Some people like, you know, some kafir dies and they're like, may Allah have mercy on him. What? Just because he could play basketball doesn't mean he's going to Jannah, calm down, right? What do you mean he gave you, he did all this, he did all this. Whatever he did, did he do it for Allah? Did he do it for Akhirah or did he do it so you guys can be like, wow. He did it so you can say, wow, that happened, khalas. Akhirah for the people of Tawheed. Right? So, in the house of Abdullah bin Jaddan, this pact was made. The Prophet ﷺ was a part of this pact. They went to As to speak to him. As ibn Wa'il, he did not want to return the money or the goods. They spoke to him nicely. They told him, look, give it up. He said, no. A Zubair ibn Abdul Muttalib went and grabbed his sword. And the people that went and grabbed their sword, they went back to As ibn Wa'il. When he saw the sword, he gave it up. <laughs> and this is something interesting. 
the psychology. People of different types. Some people are people of taqwa. The people of taqwa, you don't have to worry about. You don't need hudud for them. You don't need any of that for them because they fear Allah. They won't make zina because they fear Allah. They won't steal because they fear Allah. They're aware of Allah seeing them. They're afraid of the sins. They're afraid of Jahannam. You just tell them, Akhi, this is haram. This is in the Quran. This is in the hadith. Khalas. But not everybody is a person of taqwa. For some people, you need the stick. This is why Islam is not just ibadat of just regular praying and fasting and things. They don't, don't mix it up. Hudud and sharia, this is a part of Islam. As much as our imams want to take it out, it's a part of Islam. They can never take it out. It's in the Quran, it's in the Ahadith, this is a part of Islam. Because some people, the only reason they're honest is because they know that they don't want to walk around like this anymore. So, this is them. For them is this. And for the people of Taqwa, خلاص, Taqwa is enough. Asif Nawail, he wasn't afraid of the good advice, but he was afraid of the sword. When the swords came, خلاص, he يعني, gave up the goods. And uh, يعني, here, Zubayd was given his uh, right. And from then on, this pact was something honored by the people of Quraysh and others who, who joined in it to help the needy and protect the poor and the traveler and so on even after Islam, even after the passing of Rasul والسلام, and so on. Now, in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, we get to the stage that he's about 23, 24 or 25 years of age. And again, different numbers here. And Abu Talib, as we mentioned, he was struggling financially. And the Prophet ﷺ, until then was a shepherd for hire. But the money in Mecca was in tijara, in trade. That's how the people of Mecca made money. And now the Prophet ﷺ is old enough that he can go on these trades. So he tells Abu Talib, I want to go and earn. I don't want to be a burden. Obviously he was working already. So Abu Talib, he goes to one of the most honored and respected women in Mecca. I think you guys know the name. What's her kunya? Let's start here. Umm al-Qasim. And we know her as Umm al-Mu'mineen, the mother of the believers, Khadija radiallahu anha. Khadija radiallahu anha, she was well-known, well-respected, honorable, honest. She had already been married twice at this time and both of her earlier husbands had died. She took on a business. It's not like she started the business. She got it from the wealth from her husbands that had passed away. And we'll talk about them, inshallah, later in the news. But she would send the caravans. She wouldn't go herself, but she would send the caravans. And she would profit from the profits that were brought. And she had a slave, Maysara. Maysara was a slave of Khadija and he was a man and he was usually the one involved with taking the trade. But it's not a one-man task. And when you take an amount of goods, it's something difficult because there you got, you're got defended on the way, you have bandits, you have all these kinds of things, you have Banu Ghaffar and so on. These tribes, that's all they did was raid caravans and then meaning how to deal with things and all of that. So she would always be looking for somebody trustworthy to send. Here, 
Abu Talib approached her and said, I have a nephew. His name is Muhammad Find out about him. He is known for being honest and for being yani, sadiq and, and, and ameen and so on. So I want to send him with your caravan. Khadija radiallahu anha, and again, she's not Muslim at this time, obviously before Nabuwa. She knows the reputation of the Prophet And this is something interesting. She knows the reputation that this man is honest. Everybody from the Quraysh says that this man never lied, never broke a promise, never betrayed a trust. So she agrees. She said, I want somebody who's trustworthy. She agrees. She says, the rate is two camels per trade. Meaning what they would do is they would take, they would go to Sham. And what they would usually do is either they would take goods and just sell them in Sham and come back empty-handed. Or they would go to Sham and buy goods and come back and sell them in Mecca. Or they would go to Sham empty-handed, buy goods and take them to Yemen and so on. They would have these one-way type of trades. And the price or the reward would be two camels. So here she said, I will give him the same rate. Abu Talib said no. He said no, not from Muhammad He said from Muhammad, I want four camels. Why? Because of his honesty, because of... He told her that he is somebody that you will never have done trade like him. Look at the sifat of the Prophet before Nabu. He said that he is al-baraka, like he has barakah in him. And he is honest and he has the one... When you send with him, you will never have to worry about whether he's doing side trades or whether he's going to fulfill or take some of the money, none of that. So she said, okay, double the rate, four camels. She agreed. When the trade was taken, as Ibn Kathir, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, and others of Dhabi said, the Prophet ﷺ, he used a new strategy. Instead of going empty-handed and getting goods, he took goods from Mecca that could be sold in Sham. And you would think like this makes sense, you know, like, like it's basic common sense. But until somebody does it, like, like the wheel, right? And that's so logical. But until somebody invented the wheel, nobody thought of it, right? Today when we think about like apps and things, we're like, why don't I think of that? <laughs> that's why they made their billions, because they thought of it first, right? So at that time, nobody thought of it, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed the Prophet So what did he do? He took goods with him to Sham. And he sold those goods in Sham, and when he emptied his merchandise, then he bought goods from Sham and brought it back. And that's something that, and he, from a asbab perspective, obviously was good for business. He he went with Maysara. Maysara said, I saw something strange with this man. And this is something that's mentioned with Sanad. He says that I saw that when he would be going in the hot sun, there would be something covering him. And he says, I saw these to what later he calls them Malaika. At that time he didn't know. But he says, I saw this. And he said that I saw something different about him. And he narrates this himself. He said he would treat the slaves and the weak and the young with kindness. Maysara was a slave. This is before Nabuwa. And Rasul was from the most honored people of Quraysh. He was somebody who was honored, even though financially at that time they were struggling, 
But he was from the, the son of, Abu, uh, يعني, of Abdullah, who was honored, and then he was the nephew of, of uh, Abu Talib, who was from the leaders of Quraysh, and the grandson of the Muttalib, and so on. So he was, he, was, he was like, from a society perspective, he was very honored. Mesra was a slave, he didn't have any travel back into, but because he was older in age and he had more experience, the Prophet would treat him with great kindness. He would lower himself. Mesra was shocked. He said, I know the Quraysh, I know the Arab, they treat slaves like really bad, especially when you're not uh, Arab and you're not, you don't have the tribal backing and this. But this man, he treats me as if I'm higher than him. There's something special about him. And again, this is a point to the akhlaq of Rasul Alayhi Maysara says, and Ibn Asakir has this uh, in his Tariq uh, Sanadan. He says that Bahira, Bahira, we spoke about him earlier, had died. Another Rahib had taken his place. So now Bahira, we spoke about in the last darts, he's dead. Another yani, Zahid or Rahib had taken his place who doesn't know the Prophet This is the second time. Maysara says that when we got to that area in Sham, now again, when the Prophet went, he was a little kid. Now he's a grown man. He says, when we got there, the Prophet went and sat in a strange place under a particular tree. That a place that was kind of away and it wasn't where people usually sit. The Rahib came out and he asked Maysara, who is this man? He says, what? He says, tell me who is this man? He told him, this is Muhammad He said, I have read in our books the signs that he has. And the place where he sat, nobody has these signs and sat in this place except a Nabi of Allah. Now subhanAllah, you want to know about the miracles of the Prophet How many do you want? When people challenge us, where, where in the old scriptures do you find the mention of the Prophet you know, go and ask your own scholars. These were Christians and Jews who saw in their own scriptures the Prophet ﷺ. We can show you historic narrations, time, place, names, chains. So this Rahib, he says, yani, nobody sat in this place and had this. And then that Rahib tells Maysar that I see two angels protecting him. Maysara said, I saw that, but I didn't know what they were until this Rahib told me. So here, Maysara, he remembers this, and when he gets back to Mecca, he will tell Khatija about this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hikmah. See now, sometimes when I, when I read these books and try to prepare, like, like my mind is blown just looking at the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here now this news coming to Khatija is preparing her. For when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the wahi on Rasul salam, and he comes to Khatija radiyanha, these things will mentally prepare her to know that no, he is the true Prophet of Allah. Here, Maysara says that we went in that trade and we had more profit than ever before. He said the style of trade was excellent, there was barakah in it, there was the best akhlaq in it, and يعني, we see that many, many aspects of the good characteristics of the Prophet ﷺ that would not have been known to Khadija radiyanha, because they didn't go and date and things like this, were told to the Prophet ﷺ by 
maysara from this traveler. From this, Khadija radiallahu anha decided that this was the type of man that not only should run her business, but should be her husband. And we will discuss that in the next dars, inshallah ta'ala.